0: Good Evening,
1: hi Chris. How are you doing?
0: I do fine, thanks. How are you, Gabby?
1: I'm not bad, thank you.
0: Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, it's really nice weather, really nice. A bit too hot, though, but that's the thing about England it's either too cold or too hot. Yeah, about the weather,
1: it's never just right. But we've got loads of thunderstorms coming, apparently. So,
0: yeah, joy.
1: Well, <laughs> listeners, you are listening to The Cinema We See. I'm Gabby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris.
0: Hello there again for the... It's a lot of times now, which is good. We've something... been going for them every year, which is oh, amazing, yeah. really.
1: And um, it's something like... This is something like the 25th episode we've done, so... Wow. Rather good.
0: That's like 25 films.
1: And um, if, for anyone new... Um we used to do something we called we call it now? I think it was Trip to the movies where Oh yes,
0: a very, very long time ago <laughs> when you could go to the movies. Sad face.
1: Apparently they are opening up now and um they do have good regulations apparently. But um I don't know, I'm not I'm not tempted yet, really. Um
0: yeah, I'm not sure either because the thing is I suppose there's the issue surrounding the wearing of face masks. So I think, I think if I was in a cinema and I was wearing a face mask for a two-hour film, I'd probably I'd just feel a lot sweaty, a lot clammy, and I'd probably want to take it off. So yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to do that. And then the thing is, what do you do after? So going to the cinemas isn't just about watching a film. I think there's a little bit of experience afterwards where you're out with your friends and you get to talk about the film. And you know you don't you can't really do that with face masks on, and so it's not it's not there yet, really.
1: I think I'd be a bit more tempted if either Tenant or Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four was coming out. Then I'd be a little bit like, oh, it'd be kind of cool to see it on the big screen.
0: Well, what's um that second film you mentioned?
1: Wonder Woman nineteen
0: eighty four. Oh, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. Oh yeah, I've um. I've seen that. I heard about it somewhere. Um, I admit, like superhero films, aren't my genre, but um, yeah, I might, I might take a close look at that. Actually, I think it would be a good idea to watch another superhero film. Might say I do enjoy superhero films. It's not true actually. I really enjoyed a lot of the Spider-Man films, and I enjoyed Dark Knight Rises and the. Well, I suppose I, the latest Joker film is sort of a Batman film. Not really, though.
1: Because at the moment, I think the kind of films they're releasing, and this is really, really good. What I'm about to say, are small, independent films, which is really cool. Don't get oh, me yeah. wrong. But definitely. You know, in in this in the the fact that we're in a pandemic, I am happily going to watch independent films on my phone. Thank you very much. Uh, so that's why I said um, these big block busters as an examples of what could get me tempted is because you know sometimes on your phone it doesn't really cut it so
0: so you raised an interesting point because it might actually open up opportunities for independent film companies because without the cinemas around the own perhaps the only edge that these bigger studios have of course they have the budgets they have the cgi but it's just better marketing on the internet and I think that actually gives more space for these independent film companies to make their presence more more well known. Whereas when people go to the cinema to watch films, you sort of the choice is made for you. In a way, you probably have a choice of like three, four, five films you could watch, and if a couple of those just won't probably be suitable for your age range or interest, so you've like got not very many, not not as much choice. Whereas for lots of people who aren't avid film watchers, perhaps with everything going online, it'll give them more choice. But well, well
1: yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens because everything's changing so fast. But, like, mo- one of the most recent developments was Mulan um, apparently is going to Disney Plus, and you can't stream it uh, just by having a subscription. But if you pay $30, so I don't know if they're going to just start. And make it available in America and then spread out. But if you pay thirty dollars, it's not renting it; it's keeping it. So you know, it, it more or less it's like just putting something straight to Blu-ray. You know what I mean? Because um, yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. But that was a huge thing because it was like, oh my god, Mulan, this big Disney blockbuster. Blockbuster. But um, yeah, so it'll be interesting what happens there. I mean, I know Trolls World Tour did well, going straight onto demand. Um, available to rent and buy. But, yeah, so it is pretty it's pretty interesting stuff going on. But anyway, to the episode. So, this was your pick this week, wasn't it, Chris? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about <laughs> it?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So, continuing with our reviews of documentaries, my film of choice for this episode is Little Dieter Needs to Fly. Directed by Werner Herzog, the film details the ordeal of German-born U.S. Navy pilot Dieter Dengler and the hands of North Vietnamese soldiers.
1: Yeah, and um, this is, I want to say, an hour and 15 minutes long. Yeah,
0: it's a good length, to be honest. Um, In fact, it's one of the very few films that I've perhaps reviewed that I would say was too short.
1: You know, I think in some respects... it it is.
0: you disagreeing with me, Gabby?
1: No, 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 I was going to say that...
0: It sounds like you might be about
1: evening let me finish then you'll find out so i think that sometimes when anyone uses the phrase it could have been longer sometimes because um they're not satisfied with the ending now i was satisfied with the ending the way they ended it i thought it was very good in terms of like it was he'd finished telling this his story but also that we had that fantastic shot over um the planes that were grounded at this uh air force but i think i agree with you in terms of it could have been a bit longer only 15 20 minutes longer because there we didn't find out a lot more of what's happened to dita in the last sort of 10 years or so uh i did my own research actually after the film ended because the film came out in 1997 and i was curious like you know what happened to him anyway we'll discuss that a bit later but to begin with to begin with and talk about this film uh Dieter Dengler he was born in 1938 so just before the second world war kicked off so more or less uh grew up in Nazi Germany um there was some description of how much he remembers post-world war ii Germany and how um they had nothing and they were so poor his mother and his brothers that they would go around to uh, the desolate houses and they would peel the wallpaper off the walls, go home and cook that wallpaper because there was nutrients in the glue. And that just tells you so viscerally how poor and desperate they were. And that's, that sets you up, his childhood being like that, that sets you up for what he then later experiences in his on his first tour uh, as being part of the US Navy when he goes to Vietnam.
0: Yeah, I mean, just listening to the early part of his life, I get a feeling that he really gets a short end of the stick. I mean, that doesn't even get into the half of it. Oh, I know. And he makes a comment himself that his tough upbringing is perhaps what prepared him for being taken as a prisoner of war and then having to escape. And I think because he mentions as well, he was... Yeah, it was in Germany where he was a young man he was an apprenticed to a blacksmith or yeah. a, a clockmaker. And he mentions how he'd be working these long hours at the coal face or sorry not the coal face at in, in front of a furnace, um, bashing metal in and then his manager, his boss, would beat him like whenever he'd lost concentration or he was getting tired. And he said it was tough but it prepared him. And it's not just about his ordeal, because he then made the decision to go to America. I think his experiences in Germany spurred him to make the trip to America. And like I said, when he there, when he was there, he could hardly speak any English, but somehow he lived on the streets for a little bit. He got a job. And then from there, he um, traveled across the country to get more opportunities in the military. And then he managed to become a pilot. And I think that's just just astounding
1: and becoming a pilot like the title of the film little detail needs Fly, is because when he was at home during world war ii he remembers looking out the window and seeing a world war uh two um i don't know if it was an american or a british plane i can't remember but he saw them going past and um he he felt he he remembers it that he sort of had this connection with the pilot. The pilot looked right at him and sort of waved at him. Or, And he said from that moment, he knew that he needed to fly, that he needed to be a pilot. And, you know, he was so driven that he did the years at the blacksmiths and um, then at 18, he left for uh, America and then just followed it through. And the thing is, is that, Well, when we meet him um, in the film, he's in his mid to late 50s and he's still kind of got this like childlike wonder about flying and he's, he speaks in a very fast way. He's got very, he's very, very good at English. He speaks, he's got, he still kept his German accent, but he he speaks so fast but so clearly and there's this enthusiasm but this drive you know like even a bit later in the film when he's talking about these terrible terrible things that happened to him and to people he knew he says it in such a rushed way but it's like i need to get it all out i need to say everything every detail is important i need to get it all out and he is just so engaging with everything he is saying and he speaks with um his hands spread wide and um he's a very good storyteller and Um, I appreciate how, well, I appreciate at first, we'll get to this um, in a bit as well, that I thought as I was watching it, and before I did the research, that Werner Herzog was good in letting him tell his own story in his own words. Apart from a little bit of narration here and there, just to give you stuff that um, Dieter probably didn't mention and um, Herzog thought was important in terms of the timeline and just getting perspective on um, the events and things, but yeah, so because that's the thing. So it's 1997. So when uh, Dieter was in uh, Vietnam, it was over 30 years before. Or no, well, actually, just about 30 years before. So what happens is um, he, he goes to the US Navy, and on his first tour, he shot over Laos, I think it was, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's over Laos. So not Vietnam itself. It's shot over Laos. He's then transported to um, Vietnam shortly after he's crashed and is captured.
1: And we kind of are introduced to Dieter living in America, in California, I believe. I think it was California. And um, there's some interesting things about his uh, idiosyncrasies. So when Herzog goes to his house, um, the camera's behind him, and we kind of anticipate that Teacher's gonna open the door to his house and go in, but he opens it and he closes it, and he opens it and he closes it, open, close, open, close, and then he kind of does this little chuckle, and then he says to Camus, "No, no one understands how good it feels to be able to open and close doors, because when you're locked in somewhere, and you don't have that ability, that opportunity, it, it I don't know. That that's when the film started really clicking with me, because I was like." Because everything's so visceral, the way he explains things, by actually demonstrating things.
0: I think the film began for me when he was in the car and he was explaining about, just like giving a little intros to his ordeal in Vietnam. And he was talking about a comrade who, who was a, he was a prisoner with, who died, and he s- says he still hears um, his voices in his head. So there was one phrase that his um, comrade made, where he said, know oh, my, my feet are cold. My feet are cold." And he said, "When he's, whenever he's called himself, like when he was driving in the car with his uh, rooftop down, he hears the voice, and like a, it, it's like his friend who died is there, and he has to. Well, well, in this case." it's it's just leaving me speaks to us, really just cuz of how emotional it is yeah but, but Well, what... it's like a form of survivor's guilt because he hears the voices of his um of his fallen friends in his head and it's like they're there next to him for him
1: but um, he also says that you know cuz as you mentioned he was in his convertible he was driving that even when it's a really hot day he will think of as you mentioned, um, his friend Dwayne Martin, I believe his name was, and saying his feet are cold. So even though it's not actually cold where they are in the present day, but Dieter will put the top up and roll the windows up on the car as if to keep him warm. As you said, like de- like uh, Dwayne's right next to Dieter. You know? So Yeah, it's
0: like I'm not a psychologist, but I think that does sound a lot to a lot, a lot to me like a form of survivor's guilt and I think that is a theme that does play out a bit later in the documentary. Um, I don't want to skip too far ahead but toward, towards the end there's like the film Survivor's chapters and the final chapter is called Redemption. It's not called Salvation. It's not called Freedom. It's called Redemption. Like, he, he, I have to read after he'd escaped from captivity there was a the rest of his life was a form of redemption and so that sort of suggests that he has some kind of guilt not over anything in particular but like i said there must be some form of survivor's guilt within him
1: you know i, I agree with that because um you know just after we go into Dieter's house um one, another idiosyncrasy kind of thing is that he has food everywhere. The frid- fridge is stocked, there's food on the, t- the tabletops, in cupboards, under the floorboard, because he says how comforting it is to know that if he is hungry, there is something there, you know. But they, he's also showing photographs to Werner Herzog, to to us, the audience. And, uh, he, and then um, Herzog says to him, so this is what it's like to be a war hero and he could, and Dieter says oh no, no no I'm not a hero heroes are the ones who die at war uh not me I'm not a hero so I think there is a little guilt there but um I also feel like a bit later on he knows that what he was experiencing in terms of imprisonment and torture was you know inhumane and just barbaric however there's a moment where He expresses something that must haunt him and just bother him and bother him because he talks about uh, how he had his engagement ring with him when he went on the tour to Vietnam. And he was allowed to keep it um, by, I believe, the North Vietnamese. And then when they're going through a village, they kind of leave him for a bit. And uh, this villager comes over to him and offers him rice and seems very friendly, but then grabs his hand and tries to yank off this engagement ring. And Dieter struggles with him. and But then when the villager pulls a machete out, Dieter stops struggling and lets him have it. However, things change when Dieter's walking away with the North Vietnamese, who, you know, because he's sort of a prisoner, and he's t- trying to describe to them by you know gestures and body language that his ring has been taken. They go back and without much negotiation or anything, they just find the man, grab his hand, and cut his finger off, and then hand back the engagement ring to Dieter. And Dieter just is an absolute shock and just can't believe that he is the cause of cause of. I mean, he can believe he's the cause of, but he can't believe. Like, if he could go back in time, he would never have made a fuss. He would have just left the ring. That's the subtext there that he would have... If he'd known, he'd just have left it.
0: Yeah, that's the thing I find astounding about this. We know as a person that he is um, a caring person. He has a lot of empathy. I think that's the case. But it doesn't seem as though this experience has necessarily made him bitter either. It's amazing that he has... This unrelenting—I don't want to say cheeriness, but optimism. I optimism, it have, yeah. It's unrelenting optimism, and I think that's obviously something very powerful. I mean, that's—I think that's essentially what has made him survive.
1: Well, the the interesting thing is how the the the, the film kind of changes its. Uh style if you will part way into the film because we begin and it seems to be just an interview with Dieter in California looking at photographs on his walls and we're, we're, we're I thought at first we were just gonna stay in California and be talking about the past and have maybe stock footage and stuff then all of a sudden we're in the middle of a jungle um surrounded by these Vietnamese men who are dressed up like soldiers they're carrying guns like soldiers and Dieter is explaining things he actually went through in terms of being handcuffed and pushed and made to walk through the jungle and um he he he, they arrive at a hut at one point and he shows how he was kind of pressed up against the wall and how he had to put his feet in these sort of um slots kind of thing these wooden sort of um
0: they're like stocks, aren't they? But stocks, you that's put, it. And, um yeah, you, put, you put your feet in them instead.
1: And I'm thinking, Ooh, like this must be so much so much triggers for him. Um but for you as the the audience, you kinda you can you almost feel like everything he is saying is happening before your eyes, even though it's not. Do you know what I mean? It's so I, it's it was really know, yeah, happening.
0: I think... I think the director Herzog does a really good job at immersing the viewer in the past of Vietnam. And there are some scenes where we see archive footage of pilots flying over Vietnam and Dieter's talking in these, describing Vietnam as from the air, looking sort of uncivilized, bit barbaric, a bit basic. But then we have this music playing in the background. When I say music, it's like Mongolian throat singing. It's this strange alien music, and it really matches the mood well that Vietnam is a very different place to America Mm. or Germany or England. So the music isn't contemporary. It's not like contemporary Vietnamese music, of course, but it does an excellent job of making the viewer feel what Dieter must have felt or imagining what Vietnam was like during the war.
1: Yeah, it's just, um, I mean, it is a short film, but I watched it in bits, because I watch films in bits anyway, because I just, I have 10 minutes here spare, I have 15 minutes there spare, but with this I was glad for the break, because I was like, oh my god, he's just talked about torture, where he has a, a soldier put an ant's nest on his face and just like, oh, I can't.
0: It's interesting because I was going to make a comment that I found this film, I don't like to say watchable because as you mentioned, it um, to seem strange. It would be a strange thing to say after um, the scenes you mentioned, but there was something about this film that kept drawing me in. I kept wanting to know more. I cared about the character. I wanted to find out what happened to him in the end and how he got through it all and there are other films that i watched recently a lot of avant-garde films where it's sort of the opposite i find that i do have to watch these avant-garde films that i've seen recently in blocks because they are a lot longer and there are times when it's hard, hard to explain but with these avant-garde films watching it all in one go is very heavy. It's it's very heavy. You know, it's always better to watch, say, half of it and then give yourself some time to absorb the meaning and the message and then watch the other half. Whereas, um, but then then with this film, it was deep, but I sort of was in tune with it.
1: I think that, like the documentary we did uh, last episode, Stories We Tell, that these films are style and substance so the style is so engaging and visceral and it says so much without actually saying things but at the same time you've, you've got to your brain's got to work extra hard actually because at the same time where you've got to look to see things that are being told to you that aren't actually being said to you at the same time you've got to listen to things that are being said to you but not shown to you um if that makes any sense so narration and voiceover and and um some people can get you know it doesn't matter if it's a documentary film or a feature film some people can get so sick of natural naturation narration and voiceover and things like that because it can be so distracting but with this film i feel as if if we were to call Dieter Dengler a character, even though he's not, he's a real person, obviously, I would say that he's just such an interesting three-dimensional person that you you want to work that little bit harder to get everything um, to be watching and to be listening. Um, but I, I will say, like, not to um, spoil too much, but I was a bit disappointed that When I did a bit of research after the film that i I learned a few things that I thought were true but would turn out not to be true so there's a an example in the film for example there's oh, i can 't get my words out at the moment so sorry chris there's no worries. a film there's a, bit in, the film,
0: been,
1: there's a bit in the film where Dieter is in front of some jellyfish uh, and he says i personally think that death is like this and he shows the jellyfish just sort of swimming around and not seeming to be conscious but moving and that kind of thing like limbo like purgatory or something and I thought that was such a fascinating description and very very believable Um, but I later learned that that scene with the jellyfish and the scene previously with the door opening and closing apparently was Werner Herzog's idea he told Dieter to do that so I can imagine him saying you know um well I can imagine there's two scenarios there either he said to Dieter you know that bit about doors well how about we actually show it where I'm going to get you to open and close your door um or there could be option two which is Dieter said nothing about doors but it just came to Werner Herzog and he got him to do it now both are slightly different because in the first one at least it's Dieter's own feelings that um, the locked door does bother him but Werner being a director has sort of pushed it a little to just do something more for his film or to uh, aid the story same with the jellyfish like maybe Dieter said it's like jellyfish But Herzog actually wanted him to show that. Or, again, option two, that there was never anything from Dieter Dengler's mouth about what he thought about what death looked like. And do do you know what I'm saying there? I I,
0: I know what you're saying, and I think it's a very good point you've mentioned, because you sort of brought me back down to earth a bit, because I'm often critical of people who don't really consider all sides of the argument and don't... Necessarily consider that there could be some element of bias, some element of I don't say manipulation but some element of selling going on behind a product or behind an idea. but when it's me and I watch film, I really enjoy it, like this one. Perhaps I should be more wary and consider that well, not sceptical, but I should be wary as well that. There's also a director who is like making a film to sell, so there is the possibility that some things that I said aren't strictly true, as you mentioned.
1: It's like with our the previous documentary we discussed stories we tell where uh when Sarah Poly talks to her father about wanting to do. A documentary and her idea being to have a lot of different people's perspectives and voices and things and he said you know in some ways having too many people is not a good idea because what he implied what he was trying to imply was because people will be biased really to their story to like it's, it's like a lot of people say that we, we showed we try to show show the best side of ourselves Which is true, I mean like um, we try not to do it all the time obviously because that's just being false but it's a natural human thing to try and show your best side to the world. Uh, So there is an element of bias when people are talking about themselves or talking about friendships that they've had with other people or things they did in the past in terms of bad mistakes or whatever. Um, So I just found that interesting but I'm I'm not totally like mad about it or anything, I just it's just sometimes when you think something is true and then you find out it's not okay. true you kind of, in the moment feel a bit sort of cheated I don't feel cheated anymore but yeah
0: Yeah, I think you can, I can't deny what you've said, all I'll say is that if it weren't for Werner Herzog lots of people wouldn't have heard about the story of Dieter Dengler Exactly So. So there's also that side to it as well. But like I said, those small additions, um, I don't think they were necessary. And it's a shame that um, Herzog did feel the need to put them in when really um, maybe the... Yeah, well, they did track the truth. What I'll say as well is that Dieter being interviewed for this film is part of his life as well. And Dieter and Herzog will have had a relationship. And so Herzog influences the subject as well. So... I,
1: I just find it fan- fascinating sometimes, the artistic drive, because sometimes it can be borderline... I don't know how to put this, but for example... Opportunistic. Which, which... Well, yeah, opportunistic and, and also manip- manipulative, a word you brought up earlier. The, the, the reason I say this is because I, I I mentioned little details about the door opening and closing and the jellyfish. However, the whole, most of the film, those segments in Vietnam where he's reenacting things that happened to him, I wonder if that, he was persuaded, if Dieter Dengler was persuaded to do all that. And I just wonder if that, probably wasn't good for him or if it was good for him i don't know um because that'd be a documentary about the documentary really wouldn't it but i just say this because um a lot of directors in the past um not all male but the examples i'm about to list are male alfred hitchcock charlie chaplin stanley kubrick have all been called geniuses and auteurs and don't get me wrong they are like they are very very talented and their work I, I love a lot of their work but when you hear about stuff behind the scenes in terms of trying to uh, manipulate actors and cinematographers and, uh, and all that kind of thing you think well were they given a sort of uh, allowance I, mean, it, I to... think
0: unquestionably like Alfred Hitchcock will have pushed his actors to the limit. I mean, he's, he was a ruthless di- director. But the thing is, is that if he wasn't lying that, he wouldn't be famous. I mean, I suppose you could say this about any walk of life, really, because people complain about CA- CEOs being ruthless and money-grabbing, but then they, they wouldn't be CEOs if they weren't ruthless. Because in you know, order to get to that place, you've got to be that kind of person. And I it's gonna be the same with cinema as well. Thing is, you're not these great directors, they have to get the actors and they have to push the actors to the limit sometimes. It's it's just necessary really because I think if they were too soft then they might make be able to make good films, but they wouldn't necessarily be able to make outstanding films because 'cause they'd limit themselves. Um no pain, no gain.
1: But no, nah, I disagree. I think that's I think that's too much not too <clears throat> Not, to, I think that's not to be rude, but I think that's too much of a easy answer and a basic answer, Chris. Because I feel like, you know, uh. I, I, <laughs> well, let me, explain, let me explain. Let me explain. Let me explain. Because a lot of people these days have said that you can be on a very very happy set and produce a good film. Um, think, yeah. So.
0: Yeah, it probably is a a dated way of thinking actually, because you can motivate people properly with both probably takes more time, more effort and more thought. I think that's probably why I wouldn't be able to be a director because as a director, you're a manager as well. You're a manager and you're trying to sell a product. So maybe things like truth and objectivity disappear and also good working practices get disappear as well. Um, so I'm sort of labouring my point in which you disagree with, but Um, I think in relation to this film, I don't think there was a great deal of manipulation, but I think that um, Werner Herzog allowed himself to get a little too carried away. Um, I think with the... I mentioned about the musical score, um, because they had that Mongolian throat singing, and it's not contemporary, but then the thing is, I would think that anybody watching it would know it wasn't contemporary, so it doesn't really influence people's thinking that way but that's just very minor i think it's just very just my minor details really i think there are more egregious cases of directors of documentaries distorting the truth but um, i think what you mentioned was a good point and also in reference to other documentaries that we might review going forward that there is a certain degree of skepticism required
1: I just think it's good to highlight sometimes the ethics of um, filmmaking. Because I think sometimes, I think in some ways it's an industry, people don't want to look too closely at ethics because it makes billions and billions and billions. And people are in the spotlight and they've got careers that, you know, um, I mean, everyone's got... Yeah, families to feed and
0: sports cars to buy. <laughs>
1: but I just, I just feel like sometimes it's like, it's like every... I think Charlie Chaplin's films, for example, should not be burnt or anything like that, just because. Oh, Who's saying of...
0: burning? All right, all
1: right. Yeah, yeah. But listen, listen, because I've been thinking about this that I don't. Yeah, mean... You're
0: saying this is a torch in your hand, aren't you? I'm just. So I'm not saying... saying that we should be burning books, but.
1: I'm saying that just because someone has been, like stories have come out after they've died, and don't get me wrong, when someone's died, you can kind of say anything about them so they're not all necessarily true. But I just feel like sometimes um, the ethics of um, how these directors have behaved, um, they kind of, I feel like some of them felt like they could do whatever the hell they want. They could manipulate um, all kinds of stuff. And I was just a little disappointed that um maybe it wasn't really the case with this film, but in some scenes I thought I wonder if he's pushing it a little little. Yeah, bit if you feel that, that Dieter yeah.
0: is a traumatized former prisoner of war, he he is traumatized, you can tell. And there is a concern that he had been exploited somewhat. I actually do see that point of view. And I think it's a very good documentary. It's a good film. But the thing is, did it need to be made?
1: I think it did. And I I think it's a very, very good film at the end of the day. Um, I feel like it's important that we know his story, Dieter Dengler's. Um...
0: So you think does it does it matter how many people know a story? Well, you know, I think think it does. Because I think that this is... I don't want to say the word uplifting story because it doesn't seem the right word in the end. Because you well, see, so many of his comrades die. A lot but of
1: people. Th- sorry, to it's, it's an
0: inspiring story. It's an inspiring story, certainly.
1: But also, a lot of people think the Vietnam War was a total waste of time, and that it should never have happened. Really, and that. All those lives were lost for just, you know, not much gain, really. And I feel like, you know, there are a lot of films about Vietnam. There are a lot of films about World War One, World War Two. But, you know, this documentary about one man's experience during the Vietnam War, I think, is important because it wasn't even... It was just over 60 years ago, I want to say. Uh, No, less than 60 years ago. Less than 60 years ago. Um, And you can't imagine, really, but you know that there's still war on the planet right now. And you just think if people knew more about, you know, all this barbaric things and traumatic things and all that, you know, is there any way to strive for peace? I think that's what I'm trying
0: to say. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. And I think a lot of directors like to think that the films they make that contain morals, that contain messages, can have an influence in society, that can have an influence in people, and maybe even the world. In fact, I think that's what drives a lot of directors to produce films. They want to get their message out. And the film that they make is the medium for doing it other people try to get their messages out in other ways people go into politics to get a message out that way um people become teachers they get although perhaps sometimes they shouldn't they try to get a message out in that way and but the here's the sad, sad reality is that can we pinpoint the film and say for certain that that film had a profound effect or is it really the case that film is just that art is just entertainment and people watch it they feel feel deeply they feel emotion they're intrigued but then the world just carries on can we say that was a film (laughs) that really changed the world
1: well yeah i think so i mean um just to name one film that changes the world, but not necessarily in a social political sense, but Star Wars—that changed the world.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, generation
1: after generation um, was brought yeah, up. I think recently.
0: you're right. I think you're right, actually, because sorry to talk over you. It's very interesting you mentioned science fiction genre because actually those films probably do change the world in a big way because. They give people ideas, they give people inspiration for coming up with new designs, new inventions. They sort of encourage people to push forward and they can show people what the future can look like. And so actually, I think that science fiction films could have a very big impact on our culture and our future. I'm going to mention um, Star Trek as well, because they have, I know it sounds very basic, but in Star Trek, they they have these devices like iPads. This was in the 1960s. and like iPad-type devices. And then somebody looked at that and thought, I'm going to make an iPad one day. I, I promise you someone will have looked at that and thought, I'm going to make something like those um, paper-thin computers on Star Trek. And they pushed for it, and um, somebody saw the opportunity, and it happened. And I think maybe even one day, we could have a starship going across space. And perhaps people wouldn't have been driven to do that if it hadn't been for these science fiction writers science fiction filmmakers so i think that's a good example of a i think show. i think
1: um i think film i think art and life they go around on a cycle in terms of art influences life life influences art art influences life so if we talk about science fiction i think like technology influenced science fiction and science fiction it um influence technology and then technology science fiction and that kind of thing Uh, because like after Star Wars well before Star Wars you had Thousand Wars Space Odyssey after Star Wars all the way like a huge jump forward in 2002 you had Minority Report Um, so you know that's in terms of like science fiction technology and that kind of thing but I think in terms of war films I think that's had a huge impact really on politics really I guess Um, because it gave people an understanding of what their fathers might have, mothers and fathers might have gone through. Um, you know, like um, a lot of kids had parents, like fathers who returned from Vietnam and didn't understand why they were so different when they returned and then grew up and watched something like, I don't know, Platoon or The Deer Hunter and maybe had a better understanding of what, why the, their parents were the way they were. So um, it, is, it is really interesting when you, when you look at it as... Um, Art influencing life, life influencing art, and all that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, actually, my um, opinion's change slightly. Actually, I would say films like this do a great service, actually, about getting that information out there, getting the story out there. And this its a documentary, it's expected to serve an educational purpose, but it probably serves a more educational purpose for a wider audience than a particular book might because we know h- how much more these days television and film and cinema reaches people than books do so it's good to see these topics in that in new forms of media as well so that it can reach new audiences
1: and i think before i was talking about the film in terms of a micro sense which is you know what was it like for people involved in making the film And was that ethical? Uh, Was that, you know, I don't know. Uh, I was just interested in that for for a moment. But if I talk about the film on a macro scale, I think it is a very important film because of the way Dieter Dengler gets to tell his story about his own experience during a war that, you know, was quite barbaric and, um, you know, is the effects are still being felt today of the Vietnam War. So, yeah, so I think that's what I was trying to say. If, I, if I've explained it now in terms of macro and micro.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think with this film, because it's a documentary, the, the message is the fact, is the truth, really. I think with any documentary, the message is just the truth. And because I was thinking about the last documentary we reviewed, I'm wondering what the message behind that was. And what I realised is actually there's not really any deeper message than the truth itself. Seeking. So... Oh, sorry, what were you saying?
1: Seeking truth, I think, is that seeking
0: truth, yeah.
1: Because you know, Sarah Polly and stories we tell is trying to seek the truth out of. Where she came from, and who her mother was, and her mother and father's relationship, and who her biological father was, and all that—seeking like, truth in that. Whilst with Dieter uh, Dieter Dengl,er, I think it was trying to seek some sort of truth, redemption, understanding from you know going back in the past. You know, so.
0: Well, you know, actually, I'm going to contradict myself again. I think this story had another message other than just seeking truth. Like I was saying, I think this was meant to be and is a story of inspiration. It's an inspiring story about survival against the odds. It's about surviving captivity, surviving cruelty, surviving torture. And in that way, it creates an optimism in people, and it gives people hope, and it helps to drive people forward. And in fact, that's why I picked this film that's why this film was my choice because during these times we're still in lockdown really we can't go out to the shops as we normally would we can't go to the cinema as we normally would we're still in a form of captivity and there's no clear end in sight things are getting better gradually but there still isn't a clear end in sight yet and that's how Dieter must have felt when he was in the jungles vietnam and although our struggles are nowhere near anything that he went through i think we can still learn from his example and when we're in a form of captivity when we're looking for freedom you've just got to keep going keep going keep going keep the faith up and that's why i chose this film
1: and you know to coincide with what you said is that it also tells that there is a life after a something that is so consuming humbling, and mem- yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, So. <laughs> I got very serious then, but it is a serious film, so.
0: It is a serious, is a serious film. I, won- I think when I spoke to you about this film, I saw it to you as an uplifting film. I don't like the word uplifting because it isn't, the right word to use because I realised that when the, um, sorry Dita was talking about his friend Dwayne friend who was killed as they were escape escaping to freedom, I realised you know this it's not uplifting because it's tragedy, but there was something about it that gave me a sense of hope, and so that's that's where I've thought more carefully about it, and that's why I choose, chose to use the word inspiring rather than uplifting. To I, was,
1: I also think there's always, in ev- in everyone's life, there's an element of chance. So um, with Dieter and Dwayne, Dieter almost, almost just avoided being killed whilst Dwayne was killed, but it, it was almost just totally by chance that it was Dieter alive and Dwayne dead. It could have been the other way around from the way it was described. And the other thing is Dieter's rescue. Um, he, we meet up at the very end of the film with the man who was in the plane that rescued Dieter. His name's Eugene. I can't remember what his name was. Eugene something or other. Dietrich. And Jeff- What was that, sorry?
0: Eugene Dietrich.
1: Eugene Dietrich. And he says that it was amazing really that they ever picked up Dieter because they're meant to leave at eight in the morning they left at one o'clock in the afternoon and if they'd decide if they hadn't decided to follow the river up the mountain and spot Dieter in just in the bend in the river uh you know it was just totally totally by chance and I think life is you know it's like roulette sometimes isn't it it's just like you know sometimes it lands on red sometimes it lands on black and you know um when your number's up your number's up I don't know it's just timing. You don't and... gamble, do you? I what?
0: No, you don't gamble, do you?
1: I, I have gambled before.
0: I have you? Okay.
1: Horse racing, mainly.
0: Okay, very good. Sorry, carry Thank
1: on. You. No, 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 that was it. So I was just saying that it's just interesting how, you know, sometimes it's just what it is. And no one can explain why things are the way they are. But, yeah.
0: Yeah. it's Gosh, wow. And but with... 'Cause you were talking about there being a life after the event. And that's not something I'd even really considered. I'm just thinking what's what's in store for cinema in the after.
1: Yeah, there will there will be a life after. We don't know what it will be, but it it's coming and um we'll all adapt. You know, that's what the thing about humanity is we can all adapt. Um sometimes we adapt and we don't even know we're doing it.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's a very good point as well. And I suppose I'm trying to find something to latch on to. You know, but we just, like I said, you just got to keep going.
1: Yeah, because things, you know, things always sometimes are grey, but then the sun comes out again, so...
0: Yay. Sorry. Hooray. Anyway, so. This took a certain, certain turn, which I've been trying to avoid.
1: It got melancholy.
0: It, it did. But then, yeah, I think um, I've said it before, i say it again. These podcasts are really great, actually, because they help us to keep in touch. And it provides sort of a routine and yeah, I enjoy doing them as well. I enjoy talking. yeah
1: i know there are some listeners out there because i i know who um i can see that people listen on this trusty little app we use but (laughs) um but um yeah listeners like me and christopher love doing this and uh hopefully you've been with us for a while and if you're new hopefully you'll stick with us for for a while so uh but yeah so next week will be our another episode next week will be my pick and i don't know i think i might try and find my best do my best to find a comedy
0: <laughs> oh yeah i mean i think i've been here before when the thing is i think i don't think it's just the films that me and you watch i think most films or at least 50 percent of films are melancholy you know what what i mean um there's people watch films for drama and intrigue and that doesn't necessarily correlate correlate with Good feeling and happiness. I mean, there are some films which like are happy, like Adam Sandler films, but Disney um, Disney films, yeah. But thing is, they they're always associated somewhat with simplicity. Yep. Which perhaps isn't always fair. Is there such a thing as a deep film that's happy?
1: A deep film, Inside Out.
0: I've never watched that.
1: Ah, oh, go on. That's the <laughs> homework, Chrissy. Go away and watch Inside Out.
0: But yeah, I'd, um, you know, actually, I don't. Have you chosen a comedy for us before?
1: Even better, Coco. I think Coco is better than Inside Out, which is controversial, maybe. But I don't know. Um, I think Inside Out's very good, but I would watch Coco if you want a really melancholy but uplifting.
0: Because I think um, you recommended um, me watch a film called The Road which is about a post-apocalyptic Did I? And...
1: i've i never seen the road
0: yeah but you said you you said to me watch it i said but i I'm...
1: wanted i said i wanted to see it because yeah I heard... in,
0: you were in new york at the time or something so i watched it and i thought you know i liked it but i thought geez <laughs> but I, de- I don't
1: i don't think i reckon i've never seen it so i didn't really mean oh i recommend this i meant Oh I've never seen it um, If it's come up on movie Then watch it and tell me what you think
0: That sounds a lot like a recommendation
1: No not really It's slightly different Because a recommendation wow, is when different. you when you have knowledge of something
0: Okay okay Whereas yes For yes, me yes, I was
1: just like I'm in New York Will you watch The Road and tell me if it's any good
0: Well it's good but you know I probably won't watch it around these times I'd watch a comedy instead um, Have you ch- chosen a comedy before uh... That's probably think you know what I mean because you might have chosen a comedy before I didn't realise it was a comedy
1: I'm not sure I'm not sure if I have um,
0: I've tried I've tried to get comedies I mean I reviewed well we reviewed on my recommendation what we doing in the shadows the shadows, which is a very good film very funny as well John um,
1: sure is Dead you recommended that was funny yeah anyway I'm but, gonna pick the comedy next time I'm gonna pick oh
0: i actually looking forward to this this is something a bit different yeah um, It'll I can't good. remember which um which ones cause you this wasn't my recommendation. Um what was the last film we reviewed? Oh yeah, the um yeah, the um Stories We Tell. What... The stories we tell, yeah. Oh yeah, that that was interesting as well. I'm just um recalling a bit. What was the one before that you re- you recommended?
1: Oof. I don't know. I can't remember that far back.
0: <gasps> I just wanna know, really.
1: You'll have to go back through our archive, Chris.
0: What I'm doing had it here. Playlist, we're podcast. not gonna
1: waffle on any longer. I am. But we let's, will let's see you next week, listeners.
0: Oh, what was it? It was Fox and His No, Celine G- Rand, Hunt. Was it the Hunt? It was the, hunt. It oh, was yeah, the because...
1: hunt. I know the most depressing film we've reviewed on this show so far. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, uh, then there was uh, I recommend Frank, which was, wasn't a straight comedy with those funny parts to it. Oh, Night Tide.
1: Nighttide, yeah. Well, that wasn't totally depressing. It was kind of strange and weird, but...
0: Oh, did you upload? Oh, yeah, there's the stories we tell. That was 23, which which is 8.5. I recommended that, which was interesting as well. I don't know. I think that's more like um, one you've got to review if you do film reviews. Nighttide. Yeah, that was...
1: Christopher, are we ready to say goodbye? (laughs) Yes, we are. All right, we'll say goodbye, listeners. Goodbye.